Welcome to the Talking Story Podcast. We'll be your hosts for season one. I'm Lorenzo Roel Flores Please. I'm Ezra Kikaway Cook. And I'm Oceana Sawyer. In this space, as people of the global majority, we reflect on our experiences living here in Jefferson County, a semi-rural region of the Olympic Peninsula, which is primarily white folks. This is us talking to us about us for us. Welcome to this episode entitled Community Starts with Families. Today we're talking to Azra Naray and Corey Chin. First, I want to introduce you to my friend Azrite. Azrite is a biracial, black, neurodivergent artist, community organizer, and mother. Azrite was born and raised in the Southwest before moving to Port Townsend, where she has lived for the better part of two decades. Azrite has been working with PGM youth and families in the community settings through the BIPOC Family Excursion Program, alongside Corey Chen and with Tanya Burkett and Jale Amai as a member of the Community Equity Initiative. She also works with the Port Townsend School District, co-facilitating the district's BIPOC student unions with other PGM community members. Asbright hopes to continue supporting more equitable experiences for PGM in education and the arts, while also creating community-centered spaces for BIPOC youth and families. And now let me introduce you to Corey. Corey Chin is a mixed-race person of Japanese, Chinese, and mixed European descent. They currently reside in Quilcene, Washington, Antwana, and Sklalem land. Corey has a background in experiential education with children and now works to build inclusive community that empowers cultural healing and community wellness. She currently works for the Jefferson County Anti-Racist Fund, coordinating a no-cost, reparations-based food and medicine distribution program. She also works for the BIPOC Family Program discussed in this episode and hopes that this work can uplift the dignity and well-being of their community. What from your time here in Port Townsend gave you the idea to create the BIPOC family excursions? The idea came from seeing the nature schools and not feeling like it was accessible for POC. And I did actually, before approaching the YMCA, reach out to a couple unnamed nature schools (laughs) to see if they could create scholarships for BIPOC kids and it didn't go anywhere. So I thought we should just make something that was specifically for them. And I also looked at those nature schools and realized that they also weren't really the space for kids of color. A lot of what was being taught was like stolen wisdom from different cultures and I just didn't feel like that would be good for BIPOC kids. Kids need to see people of color doing all of those things and holding those traditions and learn directly from them. So the family excursions isn't so much about nature as it is about cultural ways? I think I wanted it to be well-rounded in that I was hoping that we could also look at STEM and start to consider traditional ways of sharing and teaching as part of 
STEM and outdoor education and not just this like really colonized idea of like what science is and it was tricky to find people of color in STEM but we have found a couple people to facilitate but I also don't think it has to be like people with degrees like this really formal idea of science education and science communication like I think anyone who's learned their traditional knowledge can share that and it has a basis in science usually or nature same thing Mm -hmm. yeah 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 like not all of the excursions are cultural experiences but Mm -hmm. I feel like we've kind of gone more in that direction with things just based on like what people in the community want to share and want to teach and like what's important to them we've also had things come up where it's like PGM can also culturally appropriate and so we want to make sure that we're not just repeating that model within our program and that when people are teaching traditional skills that like the people are of that culture that's Mm -hmm. something we value in the program whoa now that's something a moment in time where a PGM was culturally appropriating somebody else's culture how did you guys deal with that I mean, did that actually literally happen? We've definitely had experiences where people have asked to facilitate things. And then we always just have a discussion. and Yeah, it's like a conversation of trying to figure out the lines of what cultural appropriation is and making sure that we're always centering being a good example with what we're teaching to the families and the kids and... Yeah, even if it's borderline, you know, if it's like someone that wants to teach a kind of art form, but it's not from their culture, it's just something we try to avoid mm-hmm. with the program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And so who shows up at these family excursions? It's really like a mixture of identities that come Mm. to the program because just living in this place that is a very white community, a lot of who comes are like mixed families who have like a white parent and a PGM parent and the kids, Mm. you know, like have mixed racial identities and a lot of white people like adopt brown and black children here. And so it's kind of like this big mixture and mishmash of people that come. Mm -hmm. But over time, we've, like, reached more of the community, and recently we've had more people who are connected with JCRA, the Jefferson County Immigrant Rights Advocates. Mm -hmm. And we have had programming that's been open to the broader BIPOC community, too, where we don't just keep it to families. Like, last year we did three community potlucks and that was really fun and we had a big variety of people come to those i really enjoyed those yeah um i think that's actually the first place i met lorenzo yeah i was just thinking about that yeah (laughs) you know it's interesting because these family excursions kind of center around children and youth which is how it should be and i see people ask this on the b-town nine time can I come? <laughs> have any totally. kids? And you guys are always so welcoming and, and, and friendly about that. Can you say more about, like, do you encourage or discourage people coming without kids? Or are you really just trying to focus on it being a child-centered adventure? 
I think we encourage folks depending upon what the excursion is mm. because we have to consider the facilitators. If it is an excursion that needs to be more intimate and they're working, doing something hands-on, then we try to keep it to a minimum. You know, we talk with the facilitators and we're always trying to make sure that they're comfortable and give them the space to express their needs. And we do have facilitators say, hey, can we keep it to this, you know, range of numbers? And then we'll work with them to make sure. But I think for the most part, we want as many people to come as possible. Yeah, and that's kind of why we started having the bigger potlucks and celebrations is so we could open it up more because people were asking to come. And I think one time I said no to somebody and then we felt bad about that. And so we were brainstorming, like, how do we make this more open? Because people clearly want to be able to come be part of this community. So then we started doing the potlucks. I kind of feel like after I talked to really both of you, I had talked to Azrael already and then we talked to you, Corey. And I feel like really after that conversation, I got this sense of how the BIPOC family excursions have become this organic way that people have come together and gotten to know each other in a context that doesn't involve fighting against something. Which is how so many of us came together in 2020. But now it's like this is something that people are like coming together to learn. It's just like a celebration of our information, our who we are in the world. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, what what have you seen that's emerged, that's completely surprised you about the impact of these excursions on the PGM community? You mentioning that, like, reminded me, this is years ago now, and I think I've intellectualized, like, oh, this was my thought process of why I wanted this and why I approached the why, but I think Really, I was getting into organizing at a time when everyone was focused on direct action. And a lot of people were focused on, like, the betterment of our experience in this country and and how do we fight against the rampant anti-blackness in the world. But I really wanted to step outside of that and focus on, like, all of the things that I wish I had experienced Mm -hmm. as a kid and all of the things that I wish all of the children now and in the future could experience outside of like just constantly being in a state where we're focusing on the oppression and the struggle and the pain. Yeah. And I think your question about like the most surprising thing that's come out of it for me has been seeing the connections that have been built. Mm -hmm. Like people are in close relationships and have built support networks. And it's really beautiful to see parents feeling supported and connecting with each other. Because I feel like some of the people who end up in the program aren't necessarily already in the BIPOC community. It's something they hear about from the Y or word of mouth or from the school district. And maybe they aren't used to being around other BIPOC people and have assimilated over time or their family has assimilated. And 
I think it's a beautiful thing that they're getting an opportunity to be around other BIPOC folks. That building of relationships and the impact that it's had on people's life has been the most surprising thing. And also the practical nature of it. Because we did one excursion with Montana Honey Lion and she talked about topical first aid and child safe plants Mm -hmm. that can be found in your home or, or in your environment. And my daughter actually had like an allergic reaction to something randomly one night and her eye just like puffed up massively. And I, for a second was like panicking. I was like, what, what am I going to do? Oh my God. Um, and then I remembered I had actually made poultices and I remembered Montana talked about inflammation, allergic reactions, how to treat them. And I used the poultice on her eye and it went down. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that I would not have known, See, you know, it just like really that. was useful. Yeah. That is such a cool story. It's like a, a village moment, right? Like, this is how we used to do it. We yeah. used to like get together and go, oh my God, this person's eye just did this thing. Oh yeah, well, let me tell you, this is how we used to do it. Get this, get that, get this from the kitchen and it'll handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we lived among ourselves. Sharing our knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, and I love to hear you talk about how you came to the idea to start the program and, like, why you wanted to bring community together in that way. And you have this unique experience of, like, you actually grew up here part of your childhood and went to high school here. And so you can really relate to the kids and the youth and what it's like to live here and go to the schools here I feel like a lot of that knowledge around like herbal medicine or these kind of like folk traditions can get rejected in the PGM community like where you grew up here it's so white and a lot of people that are doing those things it's coming from these white hippies Mm. that I don't know if you relate to that a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah I don't believe in that plant magic stuff that all the hippies Mm -hmm. are talking about but then the whole point of this program is that kids get to learn from people that are like them and so they can really like believe and integrate the knowledge and the skills and like that story you know I'm sure there's been plenty of people in Port Townsend that love to talk about chamomile and like herbal medicine but you've never cared about it but then learning from Montana than Mm -hmm. you actually. Yeah. There's just so many things that have led to this program, and I don't think it was really, like, a revolutionary idea. (laughs) I think it was Mm -hmm. just a need that was met eventually. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of people who have encouraged it in their own ways to get to this point. And for me, it's been a really healing experience seeing... BIPOC folks claiming their culture and then getting the opportunity to share it with other people. And yeah, growing up here, I <laughs> I started my social life really with like older women. When I was in my teens, I was in the art scene. So I had a lot of like dance mentors and they were all white women who, you know, they studied folk dance, but it was like heavy appropriation and just you know fractured 
my connection to cultural arts. I actually started a nonprofit when I was 17 with a white woman and we taught Swana dance to little kids. And I look back now and I'm like, wow, this was super cringy. And also like those people gatekeep so much culture. I did West African dance with like all white people. It'd be like me and one other person of color or occasionally we'd have guest dance teachers. But yeah, it was not a healthy and safe space really. And we didn't really get to experience in the correct context that art form and its meaning and its power. I feel like it's just like this diluted version of that sacred knowledge or sacred practices were just like so diluted. And and I really look back now at those experiences I had as a kid. And yeah, it was a lot of people in like interested in cultural foods and and music and dance and art and it was like so appropriate (laughs) and it was bad and now it's really beautiful to get to see people from those communities carrying on those traditions because there is cultural mass extinction is like 100% real (laughs) like it every day we're losing parts of our cultures languages in this culture of America like we're all busy we're all working we don't often think like what are the gifts that my ancestors gave me that I'm like putting away on a shelf and letting get dusty like you will lose those over time if you don't practice them and I think joy too is one of those things you know especially my experience in the dance world like that was where I experienced my joy and my connection to my ancestors was through movement and if you don't do it it has a huge impact on your life and I think we as a society don't realize how important those acts of joy impact us. There's something in here about reclaiming our culture. The way you talk about it it feels so close. Like, we could actually do that. Mm. Our traditional ways are not that far removed. And that's very different from people of European descent. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's what whiteness does. It erases everybody's ethnicity. I'm just wondering about what have you seen What's like a moment, a flashpoint in in the BIPOC excursion where you saw someone who was uncomfortable maybe with being around other PGM people, uncomfortable with who their their identity, we had a whole conversation about this, and then something happens in the field, in the excursion, it's like, oh. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Have you, have you seen a moment like that where somebody's really like, oh. I got this. I see who I am. I see the potential of of me and and my people. I feel like we've definitely witnessed that with, like, children. It's easier to see it happens in a shorter amount of time, I believe. Mm -hmm. Like, when they're especially surrounded by other kids, they just, like, you know, they get comfortable easier. But I think with adults, like, we have encouraged people to facilitate that we're unsure of their abilities Mm -hmm. and I feel like the good thing is maybe because I can't think of an example really other than needing to encourage people that they are capable of 
facilitating and maybe kids who are just a little shy and are used to just because of the nature of our population being around white children. That shows maybe that we've created an environment where people feel safe to just be. So, Mm. Yeah, I want to pay more attention to that moment, to looking for that moment for people that you're naming of kind of feeling awkward and uncomfortable and then coming into it and like feeling present with whatever cultural activity, you know, for people that it's part of their identity to have that experience. And yeah, I feel like I can relate to that just in my life and trying to do this awkward reclamation of my cultures within my mixed identities of like having a white mom and a Chinese and Japanese dad and trying to find my way back to the culture of my people and it's awkward and uncomfortable mm-hmm, yeah <laughs> like I just went to this Japanese Obon Odori festival that's like this festival that's celebrating the return of the ancestors and I was watching a tea ceremony which I've heard a lot about tea ceremonies and I just like felt really weird and uncomfortable like you're talking about but then I was just started crying during it just like having the access to be able to be part of something like that after just really not having that in my life ever it's really powerful and I hope that we can all just have more of those experiences and community and as we learn and like invite people to share their cultures with each other and that's a really mm-hmm. beautiful thing about the yeah. BIPOC family program. That what you just said, Corey, reminded me of what I said previously that, you know, we do have to encourage people sometimes. I think more often than anything, we get folks who aren't just like our culture has devalued us and our traditions and I think for some people it's hard to acknowledge that actually they have had these gifts and these things to share with their community. They just haven't had the opportunities to. And I think through experiencing other people do that, you know, it can be an inspiration and an example of like, yeah, actually I've got traditions that have been passed down to me or I have this knowledge or I've done the work to like reclaim my traditions and I can share those with other people who are also trying to reclaim traditions. And maybe, you know, there's children who share your heritage who have even less of a connection and need people to help. Yeah. We definitely focus on like the multi-generational aspect of the program because it's really important for kids to have adults to you know, share knowledge with them and vice versa. The kids are amazing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and teach us a whole lot. It's help for the adults too, Mm -hmm. to re-enter the spaces where their culture is being remembered and celebrated because it is an opportunity for them. Maybe they didn't have their parents there doing that for them. So it's like a healing opportunity. I feel so lucky that I've had the opportunity to, with my daughter, live in on her ancestral land, speak her language, and know a lot about her cultural traditions to then 
impart to her because I didn't have that as a kid. I, I ended up having like white ladies <laughs> when I was a teenager talk about, you know, teach me some diluted version of my own people's traditions and culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's an opportunity for those parents to walk their kids through that process of reclaiming their culture and maintaining connections that maybe their parents had assimilated due to, you know, need necessity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Identity is hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can tell you that the biggest non-white demographic in Jefferson County are uh, Latinx people. Mm-hmm. The next biggest, very close second, are people who identify as mixed race, mixed ethnicity. And that feels like almost the sort of hallmark of the PGM community in this town is this question of identity. Who am I? How do I get to integrate all the different parts of me? And how do I deal with the, you know, the the spectrum of anti-blackness, which is what all racism is based on, and uh, internal to myself, and then address that, confront that, manage that, integrate that, and still show up in this, you know, in the world, a whole person. And I feel like one of the things that happens with the BIPOC family excursions is we get confronted with the ethnic parts of ourselves that have been erased, denied, covered up. And there's a certain amount of charge to that. Because I know whenever I see the flyer, something happens for me somatically. Like, oh, they're doing (laughs) macabre basket weaving. You know, like, I don't know how to weave baskets from West Africa. What am I ever, you know, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that sort of comes up. And I feel like there's something that happens with these excursions that allows people to confront how much they don't have access to and to make a choice perhaps to go after stuff that has been lost Mm -hmm. to them or, or not. Yeah. I feel amazed too that the lack of connection I had, you know, with my culture as a kid, but also was raised by a white mother and I mixed. I'd have to say probably 90% of our families are mixed. Mm -hmm. And it is really tricky for mixed folks because we don't have conversations. (laughs) We don't talk about our experiences and challenges and our joys, potentially, you know. Mm -hmm. All of us are experiencing to some degree, like, what you experienced, Corey, with, like, reclaiming a reclamation of, like, our cultures, our culture. And it's tricky because often you'll be more connected to one than the other or you're not connected at all. With the excursions, I feel like it's just a really good opportunity for folks to get a chance to, like, see if there's an interest in that tradition, too, you Mm -hmm. know? Because, you know, it could be a culture that you're from, but that's not your thing. You're not a weaver. You're a grower or, you know, or you're a singer or you're a dancer. But it still feels good to take part in something. And they're also designed to be for the broader community. You know, it's not just for people from the culture where that tradition is coming from. It's really 
about sharing and about connection. And I think that's really important that we have a really diverse group. We really get an opportunity to dismantle some of the stereotypes and appreciate each other's cultures, which is like a huge problem in the BIPOC community, in the mixed community, is there's so much oppression and linear oppression. And that's like colonizers technique to like bring us all together and pin us against each other and create a cast really. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just really important that everyone gets to it. And even if it's not like, Oh, this is feels really deep to me because this is part of my culture. I want to go to that excursion. I need this for my heart. Like it's also just a time for people to come and acknowledge the amazing traditions that we all have and appreciate each other and start to build connections and because we're way stronger together. It still amazes me. I mean, I, I experience, like you're saying, anti-blackness from people non-white <laughs> from POC. Just the other day, a lot of ex-women said the N-word in front of me and I was like, right now like we have to be together enough to know like what is appropriate and also to just dismantle those things like this isn't who we are so you can't say that (laughs) but it's tricky because we do have so many stereotypes and preconceived notions and things that aren't serving anyone I think the excursions are a great place for people to come together and learn how to respect each other too and build a community where we're considerate and responsible and just curious about each other. Yeah, I think that's it, like the community. Because again, like maybe half of our excursions are actually like cultural traditions that people Mm -hmm. are sharing. Some of them are just like fun things that we do or like learning marine science or acrobatics or something. Mm. And, like, I've never been to an excursion where there is, like, a Japanese or Chinese cultural tradition being taught where I could immerse myself in that and learn from people. But being able to be together and be with other people who are doing that reclamation and, like, figuring out their identities and exploring the traditions of their people... And I've made community with people who share my heritage through the program. And that's been really meaningful. And outside of that, just made so many deep connections. I've really made family through the BIPOC family program. And I don't have any kids. I'm the only person that goes to like all the family (laughs) events that doesn't have my own kids. And I feel so lucky. Auntie that Corey. I get to do that and yeah I'm auntie to a lot of kids and I met somebody at one of the excursions early on and she had her two-month-old baby there and the baby was just getting passed around to everyone and it was just so beautiful to see that and now I'm that baby's godparent and he's two now and godparent to his two siblings and so it's just been incredibly meaningful and changed my life a lot to be part of this program and has made me want to 
keep living here, which I wasn't mm. sure of before. And now I mm. feel like just really honored to be investing in the community here and living here. Mm. We're so happy you're here. <laughs> Yay! No kidding. Oh my god. Oh, this place be. Not either one of you, actually, really. I think I feel the same way about like finding a community from the BIPOC family excursions. I worked there last summer. I did like Richmond program aid, aid but basically yeah. <laughs> I was just like a glorified babysitter. But I don't know, I definitely saw like those moments of children realizing that this is a cool thing, finding their own culture and learning about others, because I was with the kids all the time. And I think I found a great community there. I know a lot of the people I know now starting in that program. It's just a great thing what you two are doing. and. Um, I see it continuing to grow, honestly, because every time I was there, it just feels like more and more people show up and different people I haven't seen before. And just seeing people from like all generations, like grandparents, parents, and kids all in one spot, like doing the same thing. Mm. That was great. Just seeing that all the time. This is just a surface level question, but like, what's been like your favorite excursion? Just because you guys have done some pretty cool stuff. (laughs) That is so hard. I don't know if I'm (laughs) able to answer that. But that was a beautiful sentiment yeah, that you shared. Yeah. Because you went from what you call a glorified babysitter to then planning, helping with a group of youth to mm. plan oh, yeah. your own cultural celebration. And that was just amazing to witness. Yeah, you did a lot more than babysat. But that's also, you know, we are all coming from cultures where it's so important to just be together in spaces and to be in multi-generational spaces. So you're like big brother Lorenzo and those kids really felt comfortable with you. You're inspirational for them. Yeah, they look. Yeah. They see what you're doing and it's an inspiration for them. They see that it's within reach that it's possible and I feel like it's been so touching at moments I have seen like multiple generations of family members I'm like okay I'm not gonna cry (sighs) and it's just really beautiful to see that it's healing Mm. yeah and it's multicultural multi-generational and I just love it and I hope we do keep growing and growing and growing Thank you. So fun. What a great time we had talking with Azerite and Corey about their experiences coming into culture through the BIPOC family excursions and what that can offer us as a way of grounding in here in Jefferson County for people of the global majority. And that's a great place to segue into our next episode, which ends up being quite a lot about identity. I hope you'll join us for our discussion with Daryl and Melissa in episode two. We appreciate you for listening to this episode of Talk and Story. Music is provided with permission by Ben Wilson and Camilla J. Talk and Story is a project of well-organized and has enjoyed the support of the Port Townsend Arts Commission, Jefferson Community Foundation, Finn River Farm and Cidery, and the Community Equity Initiative, as well as private, in-kind, and monetary donations. If you'd like to support us, 
please go to well-organized.org to make a donation to the Talking Story podcast. That's well-organized.org. Thank you.